0: Discovery, go at throttle up. four computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. Transmission coming in from the Starfleet Escape Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode 108 and is being recorded on March 6th, 2020. Today's topic, Spectral Scans, Star Trek Picard Season 1, Episodes 4 and 5. Spoiler alert, this podcast contains spoilers for the Star Trek Picard episodes, Absolute Candor, and the episode Stardust City Rag. You have been warned.
2: I'm Aaron Gallo.
1: I'm Eric Berry.
2: And I'm Eric Dewey. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover Designs and Illustration. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit RevengeLover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off your order.
3: Hey, guys.
1: Hey, I'm back.
3: Welcome back. (laughs) Hey, Eric's back. There's too many Eric's around here.
1: There's a lot of Eric's. I'm
3: going to need you to change your name.
1: No, (laughs) you change your name.
3: (laughs) So this week,
2: we have an announcement from Star Trek Discovery's Kenneth Mitchell, he revealed that he has ALS.
3: Yeah, it's sad news. Um, really classy of the way he came out and, and said it, mm-hmm. you know, and you brought attention to it. He's, he's still, you know, showing a lot of hope, showing a lot of character, and the fact that he's, you know, fighting through it and, and, and just keeping on. But uh, yeah, sad, sad news.
1: He seems to be like really positive about it. I know the star Trek cruise is going on this week and he was one of the actors that was participating in the cruise. And I know that Anson Mount interviewed him in front of everyone for the well podcast. And so he talked about it there. And then I guess like what I saw on social media, they were having some big star Trek concert during the cruise and they actually like body served him. (laughs) And the crowd. So, apparently, it's like a really touching moment and everything. So, I mean, obviously, we wish him yeah. the best. I, I think he's been great in Discovery. He's played three different Klingons mm-hmm. in the show. And you can't tell it's the same actor because he plays them differently. And
3: The, the only time there was a similarity was when he was playing his own uh, relative.
1: Yeah. And... and-
3: <laughs> It was intentional. Like it, he yeah. did just a few of this, a similar. It wasn't the same. It was just similar enough to be like, okay, this person is related. Yeah. So no, he did a fantastic job.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So I mean, this is. I mean, it's sad news, and you know, I just hope that we can find a cure for this thing because it's ALS is is horrible. Yeah. And and it affects you know great people so.
3: Yeah, a- ALS and Parkinson's are two of my uh, least favorite diseases. Um, not that I really have any favorites. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> of the ones that seem to affect the people that I uh, care about the most, it seems that ALS and Parkinson mm. seems to top that list. I mean, and then, of course, cancer, which, you know, just <laughs> cancer
1: seriously because right. oh my God, it touches so many lives
3: in a negative way. it's just annoying. Can we can stop it, please? But uh, besides that, yeah, uh, ALS and Parkinson's are, are right up there on the list. With let's get rid of this crap. So, um, if you have the ability to to donate to a research foundation, uh, I, I highly encourage you to do so. I, I won't specify which ones you should. I encourage anybody who's planning on making a donation to any charitable cause to research those causes. Uh, thoroughly first, check out their uh, score on things that uh, rank charities to make sure that your your money is actually going towards the research and such, and not just towards marketing. If if you have the ability to to throw a few bucks at research to help find a cure for this crap, please do.
2: Absolutely, well said. So let's brighten the mood a little bit here and move to Would you buy it? Yes. No. No.
3: <laughs> Ooh, you know. I gotta say this is not normally my style, but I want to see if they even come in my size. Because if they don't come in my size, then you know it's pointless. Oh, they do come in my size. Uh,
1: yeah, they go up, they go up to size fourteen,
3: which which is what my I wear a fourteen. Jesus. So,
1: oh, okay. Um,
3: <laughs> typically, <laughs> typically this is not my style of, of product, but this one is not bad looking. I mean. The price point is a little higher than I would typically pay for something like this. Um, I tend to be a, I don't want to say a bargain shopper when it comes to this type of thing, because I, having worked actually- It's a shoe. (laughs)
1: Let's just get it out there. We're talking (laughs) about sizes. It's a shoe. All
3: right. So when it comes to shoes, I worked for Foot Locker for more than five years. I don't buy cheap shoes, as in cheaply made crap product shoes. I do know how to bargain shop for ch- for shoes and I will typically not pay this much for a pair of shoes because I know how to find ones that are cheaper. However, if I was looking for a specific style, I really do like the look of these. Honestly, the the biggest uh detractor from me possibly purchasing these is the the actual brand logo. Yeah. On the shoe, I love the Star Trek logo. I love the placement. I love how it's done, but the actual brand logo for the for the shoe manufacturer uh, almost overshadows the Star Trekness of it, and I don't like that.
1: Uh, you're talking about the swoosh, right? Yeah, that, the, that's this, the of...
3: it's, well. It's, uh, swoosh is a trademark Nike, so don't yeah, don't, don't get that twisted. But yes, this like stripe that uh, Vans have on their shoes.
1: That's really the only thing keeping me from buying this is like, I don't like how it overshadows the Delta symbol
3: as it stands. I can't justify the price for a pair of shoes when I know I can get shoes for cheaper. And that's something that not enough people would see. That's why I like hoodies, t-shirts, things like that, where people are going to see it right away. Shoes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Otherwise you're like, you're like trying to show off your yeah. feet like
3: hey You're like, hey everybody, look at my feet. Hey. Come on. <laughs>
2: yeah, this is a a no for me as well. Only because I've tried wearing vans before and they're too flat for me. And it hurts mm, my skater my style
3: feet. shoes tend to be very flat. Yeah,
2: it, it hurts my feet, so that's why I'm I'm gonna pass on this. But it's $99, and each pair is made to order in downtown Los Angeles. Uh,
1: I, I don't think we said this is the Star Trek Discovery Indicator Skate High Vans yes, Shield. Yes.
3: It's a high-top skate shoe with a Delta Shield from Discovery on it. That's
0: what it is.
2: <laughs> I think my wife bought like cheap, like non-sanctioned um, shoes Uh-oh. with the delta screen printed on it
3: and that did she get was... it from the pssst over here guy
2: what's that oh
3: what did she get it from the over here guy
2: well it was on amazon it was probably it must be it must be sanctioned oh, okay. right if it's on amazon
1: <clears throat> nope that's yes. not I'm a guarantee sure,
2: <laughs> well she paid 20 bucks so i'm sure she got her money's worth for it <laughs> kind of remember a couple years ago payless had a star trek shoe I, did they really? Yeah, like maybe in 09 or something like that.
1: That's ten years ago.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what did I say? Well you shut your stupid <laughs> mouth. Let me see real quick. Two thousand nine was not
3: Jayless eleven years ago, holy crap. Our track shoes. I know
1: we're we're old, man.
3: Oh, it's terrible. I will tell you this. If if you like skater style shoes which does mean a very flat bottom, usually not a ton of arch support. Skate shoes are, are designed very similarly to tennis shoes, like actual tennis shoes. Right. In the fact that they're designed to have the maximum amount of floor grip because they're designed for, you know, you're going to be on a skateboard. You don't want a high arch in the actual tread of the shoe because you want as much contact as possible with the skate deck, right? Mm-hmm. So, they tend to be much flatter than other styles of shoes. So, so your Vans and other skate style shoes are going to have that kind of flat mm. bottom to them. And usually they don't tend to really build up the arch on the inside either, from my experience. If, however, you're already familiar with those type of shoes and you, and you feel comfortable in them, Vans is a very good brand of those. So, as far as the, the quality goes, I'm not knocking the quality. I think Vans is a good brand of that type of shoe. It's just not the type of shoe I prefer to wear. But uh, it's not like some other brands that are just garbage. All right. Like I said, the, the design looks cool. I wish the Delta Shield was a little bit more forward and uh, featured a little bit more. The fact that it's a background element to the actual Vans logo detracts from it for me. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, okay, so none of us are yeah. going to buy it, <laughs> no, not,
3: not until they go on clearance. Yeah.
2: Well, I, probably not. Each are made to order, so I don't think. Oh uh, uh, yeah, well, uh, luck. Then
1: I'll never, I'll never order it.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so why don't we uh, jump into the episode here, starting with Star Trek Picard season one, episode four, Absolute Candor. The crew's journey to Free Cloud takes a detour when Picard orders a stop at the planet Vashti, where Picard and Raffi relocated Romulan refugees 14 years earlier. <laughs> Don't laugh at me, Eric. <laughs> Upon arrival, <laughs> Picard reunites with Eleanor, a young Romulan he befriended during the relocation. Meanwhile. Nar continues his attempts to learn more about Soji, while Rizzo's impatience with his lack of progress grows.
1: So, I was at C2E2 this past weekend. Yes. Oh, yes. I got to meet Issa uh, Briolas and Evan Evagora, both who play Soji and uh, Elnor, respectively. They are, like, the coolest, most chill awesome people ever that's
3: great it looked that way i saw your pictures on instagram and i was really really damn jealous Mm -hmm. i was like oh that is awesome that is that is sweet
1: uh evan who plays elnor he is a legitimate truckie. oh like if you guys saw that interview with uh will whedon that he did he he is so cool and he was saying that working with Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes like as a director and he said I would just not say anything and listen to all of their stories and he would just soak it in and they they're legitimately so cool because um her name's like it's Isa right
2: I believe so
0: I, I think so
1: yeah well she's she's like part she's part Filipino and And obviously Teresa is is from the Philippines. So there's there's that moment where she was like, wait, are are you from the Philippines? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, all right, I I know a sister when I see one. And (laughs) and so it was, she was like super nice and like just really genuine. And she was so excited to have like, to see everyone and have like a crowd there and everything. And uh, Evan, he's like, Just super chill, and it's crazy because he's like slightly taller than I am. So I'm like, So when I'm seeing him on the show, now I have like that point of reference, and Mm -hmm. I'm like, Wow, Hugh's actor is pretty short. (laughs) 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 And right, and and no, it was just uh, it was really cool if any one of our listeners has a chance to meet them. I would highly recommend meeting them at a local convention if they're going. You can tell he was super nerdy because he signed the autograph. Like it said Jolon True. Oh. You know, <laughs> Eric and Teresa and then it said like live long and prosper and I was just like I, I didn't notice he it said Jolon True until we stopped and looked at the autograph and I'm like, "Oh my god, he said Jolon true. <laughs> yeah.
3: I it's so they're
1: just they're super cool. So yeah.
3: Yeah, it looked that way from those pictures. I saw your pictures on Instagram, and I was like, oh, man. I hope one or both of them, like, I hope they're making the uh, convention circuit. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to uh, the Phoenix Fan Fusion is what it's called now. It used to be Phoenix Comic Con, and then it was Phoenix Fan Fest. And then, I don't know. They've changed their name like four times. But it's Phoenix Fan Fusion is what I'm going to in May. And they've already announced a few Trek guests, right? We've got Doug Jones coming. Uh, we've got... Now, uh, that
1: I'm jealous about.
3: I'm trying to to squeeze money out of the budget to get either a photo op or an autograph, um, so I can so I can meet him. But then we also have Kate Mulgrew is going to be there. Oh, um, she's so cool. It's uh, Tim Russ is going to be there. Uh, so I'm hoping that they're usually that show likes to put together reunion panels. Mm. You know, the very first year I went there, we had basically the entire bridge crew of TNG minus uh, uh, Frakes and Stewart were the only ones who weren't there, basically uh, because they were both, you know, actually working or something. Um, <laughs> but uh, basically, we had everybody else. Uh, McFadden was there, uh, Wheaton was there, um, Burton was there, Dorn was there, Tr- uh, Serky was there. It was it was fantastic. It was a great, great panel. So I'm hoping that maybe that's what they're trying to do. Maybe they're pulling together a good Voyager panel, which would be awesome. Because I know Garrett Wang and uh, Robert Beltran have both been to the Phoenix Convention mm. in the past. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if they might come again. So it could be interesting. But yeah, I'm hoping we get some of these new players as well from, from both Picard and Discovery. That would be
0: really, really cool.
1: It's just weird because it's like meeting them and the show is still going on. It's like Yeah like, I, like... I, I get to watch you mm-hmm. <laughs> next week. It it's it's cool. It's very cool.
3: I'm I'm really hoping that they get the actor who plays uh Eric, because I just wanna to talk to him in person. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I hope that's all you wanna do. I
3: mean Oh Yikes. I just I just wanna I just wanna like bring him like a page of 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 just random text to be like, read this to me.
2: Well I'm sure if you give him <laughs> just, like some sort of fidget spinner me. he'll do it for you.
3: I have plenty. Yeah. I literally have a drawer full, I'm not joking. So yeah, I would I would definitely
1: You know that's that's such you a unique characteristic for a character. Someone who's like fixated with something like that. Mm-hmm. And they always have to have that on their person what
3: i think is really cool is that not only do they have that you know like he's got this thing where he's always doing something with his hands but they're not drawing super attention to it they're not making lines of dialogue about it
1: it's just something that's part of him yeah
3: yeah so yeah i just i just wanted to talk to me. like seriously <laughs> that voice oh my gosh uh
1: got, got a man crush there
3: I do, yeah, between... Uh,
1: Anson Mount and, yeah. Between, yeah,
3: Anson, if I could have Anson Mount's looks and Narek's <laughs> voice, what's his name, uh, Harry something, right? Like, he does not look like a Harry, <laughs> but that's his name. The actor's name is Harry something, really. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but uh, I'm going to go with Narek because he looks more like a Narek to me <laughs> than a Harry. But Narek, if you're listening... Uh, I just want you to talk to me. Don't worry, <laughs> nothing creepy. Just, just talk
2: to it's me. Creepy please. old man. Um,
3: <laughs>
2: let's let's move on to some highlights from this episode.
3: Oh, and there were a lot of them. Oh my gosh, so many highlights. I think anyway. I notice in the ratings that uh, you YouTube did not <laughs> ne- think nearly as highly of this episode as I did. But
2: uh, yep, all right. time will tell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so again, some flashbacks here. Uh, we have Picard at the Romulan relocation hub on Vashti in 2385. Uh, so, yeah another flashback.
3: It tells us that it's you know 15 years earlier. It's basically it's right at at the time of the supernova happening. This is right at the the height. This is while the relocation is still happening and being sanctioned by Starfleet. This is before the attack on Mars. That's the important part.
1: And we get Picard in, like, uh, kind of like an Indiana Jones hat, which I appreciated. He looks pretty suave. (laughs)
3: Yeah. I like him in his uh, exploring gear. It was much, um, much better than the outfit that he wore on uh, Risa.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely a better... uh, Hanging out about
1: town outfit than that was so. Yeah, he was definitely <laughs> hanging out on that one.
3: Well, it was the banana. '60s. I mean, come on, B-
1: banana, banana hammock.
2: <laughs> oh God! All right, um, oh. uh, We're wow. we're introduced wow. to the uh, Romulan warrior nuns. Heck yeah.
1: The the Kowat Malat.
2: Yes, thank you, sir. Like warrior nuns, but I, I skipped. <laughs> I skipped things because I know you'll. Uh, yep. You'll help me out. I'll correct you. Yeah. yeah. Although in all female group, males could train in their ways, but could never truly be one of them.
3: Now, on that point, I do have to—I do have to question: Is it something that they would ever allow a male to train in, other than this one circumstance where they were not necessarily forced to, but it was by circumstance they yeah. kind of they took in this boy. I don't think normally they would allow. No. A male to even train with them at all. It's just a matter of they were raising him, so they were like, okay, we'll train you while you're here type of situation.
1: Yeah, that's the impression I got. I In no way did I think that they would let anyone, like any male, train in their order. So, yeah, I think it's really just Elnor who's had that honor, I guess.
2: Yeah, and they are the most feared enemies of the Tal Shiar.
1: Which... I like that because if you think, you know, Absolute candor, they're always going to be truthful and the Tao Shiar are always going to lie. It's right. it's complete opposite. Yeah, it's awesome.
3: It's, it's a perfect juxtaposition. And then you've got the regular you've got normal Romulans who have who lean towards the lie, yeah. but will tell the truth sometimes in the middle, basically. Mm-hmm. So. Crazy.
2: It's crazy. So, the title of the episode comes from the philosophy of the nun warriors. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, that works too. Um, Nun warriors. (laughs) Who, unlike most Rymelands, value honesty above all else.
1: I like how um, Star Trek Picard is handling it with Elnor. They're setting him up for these situations where he's almost like the butt of a joke. Right. And I think, it, I don't know if it was in these episodes that we talked about or if that was in episode six, but where he's like in butt and out butt, like butting in. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You didn't know
3: it was butting in or, or, or yeah, he's like, am I in buddy?
1: <laughs> and I just, I think I just, it, it makes his character like really endearing, but also he's like super innocent too, because he's never been off of this planet.
2: Yeah, his his um, innocence kind of reminds me of Data at the beginning.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I, I was going to bring that up because um, we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next episode, um, or not in the next, in in our discussion of the next Picard episode. Try to be clear because that's when we really get to see a little bit more of him reacting in a in an innocent way to the situation that's going on. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm really digging the character of Eleanor. These two episodes that we're talking about today really uh, kind of set that up.
2: So we have uh, Picard having a rather unique relationship with Elnor, almost as if he wishes uh, he had this relationship with his nephew.
3: I call this uh, this version of Picard Grandpa Picard, because that's, that's what he looks like. Like... He's all of a sudden being put into a situation where he has, not necessarily custody of, but some authority over where this child ends up in life, and so I feel like he's he's kind of the grandpa in this situation, and that's how he re- You know, that's he brings him presents, and you know, he's he's the guy who comes in and just has a good time with him. Um, so, yeah, I think he he wishes he probably had that relationship with his nephew or with other children earlier on in life when he was being the grumpy old man type of, of persona.
1: And uh, the, the lead co Milat Milot uh, nun, she even makes that comment about, you know, him right. famously not liking children. And that's why I really liked this whole montage that they did. And it was just, it was really touching and we were starting to see this side of, of Picard that we hadn't before. And you could tell there was some reluctance from him, but I think just because of the situation with the Romulan evacuation, he like really, this was like the personification of all of the people that he was helping. And so I think he felt really responsible for this kid in a way that he's never had with any other child before, except maybe his nephew, which you know, tragically, his nephew, Rene, died. And this is almost like a substitute for that. And that's what stings so much later in this episode when he's asking for his help. And Elnor's like, but why now? You you essentially abandoned me. Right. And uh, it's just that that was a really good emotional part of the episode.
2: And we finally have uh, some classic literature that isn't Shakespeare. As Mister Dewey notes,
3: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 nice to see some classic literature brought into Star Trek that's not Shakespeare. I
1: it mean, always ties back to Shakespeare most of the time. Somehow in
3: Trump. it always does, and I've never been that huge a fan of Shakespeare. But I know, obviously, you know, Patrick Stewart being a Shakespearean actor, and uh, you know, Star Trek's general love of Shakespeare to begin with, it's always going to come back, but. In this episode, they're talking about he brings Elnor a copy of The Three Musketeers by Alexandre Dumas. At one point, he's reading part of the book aloud to him, and it's, it's just absolutely fantastic. So, I really liked that touch, and the fact that, uh, yeah, for once it wasn't Shakespeare.
1: But, yeah, I mean, we've seen Three Musketeers a couple times before in Star Trek I mean- Next Generation, so... Yeah, I, I like how it all kind of tied back. It's just... I, I love everything about this series. It's great. <laughs> yes. Everyone should watch it.
2: Pretty good, pretty good. And if you're listening to this podcast, you should be watching it.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're just listening to our spoiler cast, then I, yeah. I don't know what to tell you.
2: So, Picard is sparring with Elnor, uh, with sticks and swords, uh, when he first receives the news of the attack on Mars.
1: I think that's why... In the uh, Children of Mars uh, short, that's why instead of like a live audio feed, you just see a picture with his statement because he was traveling back from that world to go back. So I, I really like how they're treating the timeline and they're slowly revealing the timeline to us.
3: Yeah. I also really, I mean, just another example, as if we needed more of how great an actor Patrick Stewart is, just the fact that he was able to go so well from the transition of, of you know, he's having fun playing, you know, playing sword fighting with sticks with this kid, to learning about this horrendous attack, and just you can see it on his face, and yeah, they had to put the line in there, you know, for the rest of us as far like. We all kind of knew what news he was getting based on the timeline. But, you know, for the people who weren't quite caught up, he says, what do you mean sensitive attack Mars? Like that line was almost unnecessary for those of us who have been actually following along. But for some people, I'm sure it was necessary. But he still was able to deliver it in such a way that it didn't feel out of place. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like it was shoehorned in. So, I really, really appreciated that moment when he was just like, you know, just through facial expressions, through body language, conveyed this emotion that many actors would not be able to do. In case anybody was wondering, Patrick Seward is a good actor, guys. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) News flash. (laughs) Yeah. News alert.
2: (laughs) So, back aboard the, uh, the Starship here, we have an emergency. Uh, hospitality hologram. Uh, yeah. yeah, we do. And uh, this do hologram created uh, Picard's study from Chateau Picard.
1: So what do you guys think about Picard recreating his Chateau? Like, I know from a technical standpoint, like, hey, it saves us from building a whole new set. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like the idea of, like, holographic quarters like you can take your room with you wherever you go that's cool
3: yeah no no i really like that idea too and if it weren't for the fact that at the end of that scene he said i guess i'll go back to my quarters now
0: i was like right wait a
3: minute i thought like i seriously thought like oh cool you know these future starships like holographic technologies become so ubiquitous so easy that Everybody's quarters are outfitted with, with holograms and you can make it whatever you want, but no, evidently he was on some sort of holodeck where they recreated his chateau, and then he has separate quarters also.
2: But well, I assumed that was more of like uh his ready room aboard the uh the ship there.
1: Uh, yeah, I think he just commendated the La Serena's uh <laughs> holodeck essentially.
2: Yeah. I I kinda would have liked him or them recreating the ready room from <laughs> the Enterprise D. That would have been that would have That'd been be so nuts. Awesome. I, that would be pretty <laughs> awesome, I think, with the fish and everything. No, I... <laughs>
1: you you know, Patrick Stewart actually hated I that know. they had that fish. Oh, okay. okay.
2: <laughs> but so yeah, he was against. Um, nice he didn't think people from the future would keep pets. As captives, but now he yeah. likes dogs. So I think his point of view has has changed. Uh,
1: yeah, I think you're right. Yeah.
2: Um, we learned the sector that Vashti is located in is full of criminal activity and controlled by a warlord named kar kantar uh, with the use of a 23rd century Romulan bird of prey
1: I wish we actually got to see this car Kantar like yeah. like he was some like oh, I'm a villain and they're just like ooh, it's this guy <laughs> and we just see his bird of prey it's cool that he's using an old bird of prey I was wondering how mm. the hell this was going to come into play when I saw the trailer because right. I'm like right. wait a minute that's that's about 200 years out of, uh, out of place, out of service. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I kind of like it that it's this like scoundrel and he's, you know, pretty much salvaging whatever tech he can. I, I think that's pretty sweet. I just wish we got to see who this guy is Yeah, and maybe he'll come back to play later in the season.
3: Yeah, he's not. He's not dead. I mean, they disabled his ship, yeah, but they didn't destroy his ship, and they did not uh, destroy anything anywhere near the bridge or anything like that, so it's very possible that this guy is still alive, so maybe we'll get to see him either in this season or next. Um, I did love the fact that it was a Romulan bird of prey, considering like because when they first said, they didn't specify. They said, oh yeah, this guy's got a hold of, he, he got a hold of an antique bird of prey and has been basically running the sector with with this thing and automatically my brain just assumed that it was a klingon bird of prey mm and then when i saw it i was like oh snap that's that's a romulan bird of prey he's got like obviously this whole series is uh, you know romulan centric but for some reason i just when i heard bird of prey my first thought was klingon and then when i saw it i was like oh man that's awesome like, that's old school. Like, when he said antique, he wasn't joking around. Like, that is seriously antique. So I thought that was pretty cool.
2: It was cool. I I don't know how uh, antique bird of prey would go up against any modern starship, but
3: that's that's okay.
1: I mean, well, upgrades are a <laughs> upgrade, thing. Upgrade, so.
3: I guess, well, but I oh, don't know, man. Yeah. I think also the point is that they were trying to make was that modern starships weren't bothering with that area at all. That was the whole. That was the whole thing. It's mm. like nobody has the time or energy to go into those sectors and and do anything about it. So that's why he's been able to to run things with this antique Romulan bird of prey because the Federation isn't officially doing it, and nobody else who has modern starships cares. So I think that's kind of where they're where they were going with that, as far as that is concerned, in my
2: opinion. Yeah, the only people policing the area were the Fenris Rangers.
1: Fenris Rangers.
2: And they helped the residents of Planet Varshti with the installation of their planetary defense system, which we see.
1: And thank you, Star Trek Picard, for letting Patrick Stewart say Rangers so many times. I'm sure he (laughs) said power at some point in the series, (laughs) so...
3: I can, yeah, right. yeah. Are you are you already planning some missions?
1: <laughs> but but no, I just I I think it's a cool name. I don't know who the hell Fenris or who or what Fenris is. Uh, but.
3: Fenris, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, refers to uh, a mythological uh, wolf of some sort.
1: Yeah, they talked about. Yeah, my bad. They talked about that in the uh, Ruddy Room or whatever they're calling it yeah it was it's the wolf that goes against like Romulus and Remus, so oh yeah, yeah, yeah' that, that's it, so I mean. it's kind of like a nice play with the whole romulan thing, and you've got the Fenris Rangers, so yeah, that's cool, yeah, they're cool. Seven of nine's cool,
3: <laughs> the one particular Fenris Ranger that we actually meet in this episode, spoiler. we'll get, we'll get <laughs> Rafi <laughs> says
2: that Vashti is a hotbed. Of the Romulan rebirth movement, and Picard will not find help there.
1: Dun dun dun.
2: She
3: basically tells him, uh, less, a more wretched hive of scum and. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <one hour> wait. <away. laughs> wrong franchise. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Wait, wrong show, wrong, wrong show.
2: <laughs> then Picard jumps back to the artifact where Soji is watching a hollow projection of an old Romulan talk show. And in that projection, Ramda talks about Gan Madan, Day of Annihilation. She says uh, how the day is the end of all life everywhere when shackled demons will answer the call of (laughs) Sheb-Shen-Eb, the Destroyer. Yeah,
1: Seb-Shen-Eb. Yes,
2: what he said.
3: It's it's kind of uh, interesting. I really love the way they shot this scene. Where she's like sitting in front of this uh, screen that's translucent and she's watching this show, but the way they shoot it, it like starts with, with it like face on to her. So like basically Ramda's face is kind of over top of Soji's face and like you can kind of see the similarities that like it's it was really cool the way they shot it, I thought, and then they kinda of slowly panned to the side to show that she was watching this this projection and as she's watching it she's kind of
0: like like whoa like
3: kind of making some realizations so I liked this scene because it gave us a little bit more depth into uh, why Rhonda f- freaked out so much when mm. she met Soji mm-hmm. and it also gives us a little taste of Soji starting to kind of realize, like Soji has not yet realized what she is, or who she is, and this is just kind of a little, little bit of a taste. So, that and the fact that the exposition in the scene really drives the story forward, I felt it was a good scene all around. I I thought they did a good job of condensing a lot of information without it making it, without it feeling like an information dump. So, I am still... At at this point, in this episode, I'm still very, very curious about exactly the relationship between Narek and his quote-unquote sister.
1: It's so bad. Because
0: they
3: have a very, very weird relationship. I mean, we see him, we see her, he's asleep, and she's, like, caressing his face to wake him up, like, you know, like a lover might. And then five minutes later, she's choking him out to force him to, to admit that yeah. uh, she thinks that, that that he thinks that Soji is the destroyer. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, and all the time they're talking about brother and sister. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is a weird family dynamic right here. This is some, this is some twisted stuff right here. Yeah. So I'm very, at this point, you know, we still don't know whether or not when they say sister and brother, are they talking about literal sister and brother blood relation? Or are they talking about sister and brothers and members of the same sect? You know, is it like something that the, uh, with uh, the Zabash call each other, you know, similar to the, the the, they, they are nuns. So therefore they are sisters. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So
3: maybe the Zat has something similar where they call each other brother and sister even though they're not blood related, or something
2: like related to the Ramulan rebirth movement, or something like that. Yeah,
3: yeah, there's something else going on there. You know, there's nothing that completely crosses the line, but man, they toe that line
0: <laughs> really
3: hard. That's so I'm very. I'm still very curious about their their relationship. Is exceptionally unique, <laughs> say the least. <laughs> That's for sure.
2: So something that will come up and be important in the episode, Vashti has a defense grid that only allows traffic to the surface every 30 minutes. Very Spaceballs-esque. <laughs> uh, huh.
3: I, I thought that was interesting, the way they actually they did that, because it, it wasn't just that it only allows traffic every 30 minutes, it's that it only allows traffic every 30 minutes in a specific area if you have clearance. Right. Like, it's not just like, oh, if I guess right, I can get through in this, in this 30 minutes. It's You still have to have clearance, but then it's only you know into a certain area. And then we saw that defense grid in place a little bit later in the episode. So it's, um, it's
2: interesting. Yeah, I don't think we've ever um, seen anything like that in Star Trek before.
3: Other planetary defense systems, but nothing as think, Yeah, I don't think,
1: yeah, I don't think sure? anything as blatant or intense as as this was. Yeah. yeah
3: this this was pretty hardcore. But, I mean, I, I'm willing to give them a little leeway. We're, we're talking about 20, 25 years of technological advancement. And we're talking about um, a universe in which planets are becoming more and more distrusting of each other. Mm,
2: kind of a wild west. So feel. I'm thinking
3: that, yeah, I, I'm thinking that the development of planetary defense technology, especially in the aftermath of an attack on Mars, might be something that would have seen a lot of research and development. So I'm willing mm. to kind of, kind of give them that. Like let, That's a huge leap forward in technology. Yes, absolutely. From what we've seen. But it is 20 plus years later and in the aftermath of a planetary attack so I'm kind of willing to to roll with it. Mm
2: -hmm. Next bullet point we have here, uh, Picard asks Elnor to judge his case and help him with his cause, and Elnor initially refuses.
3: I really like this, um, because I like the fact that after everything he's been through, Elnor didn't just jump right back on board
0: immediately. No.
3: He wasn't just like, oh, Picard, okay, sure, whatever. He was like, he was mad. Mm -hmm. He was like, Nah, man, what the heck? It's like, oh, sure, you come back to me when I have value to you. That's what he said. He said, oh, now that I have value. And it was really, and you could tell, again, credit to Patrick Stewart for his acting. You could tell that that comment stung Picard,
0: Mm -hmm.
3: not just because it was a sharp comment, but because there was some truth behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, Picard had the ability over the last 15 years, to reach out to Elnor if he'd wanted to. He chose not to because he was trying to put the whole thing behind. He was trying to ignore the whole situation. So this is, again, a little bit more depth, not only into Elnor's character, but also into Picard's character. The fact that when he stepped away from Starfleet, he didn't just step away from Starfleet, he stepped away from everything that he stood for up until that point. Mm-hmm. And he isolated himself from the rest of the world. Or from the rest of the universe, galaxy, whatever you want to say. I mean I say world, but I'm like this is this is space. There's there's more than just the world involved. So I really I really thought that this scene was fantastic when he's 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 putting his case forward and he's telling Eleanor all this stuff and Elnor's like, mm, "No." Right? <laughs> I'm like I'm like, "Yeah. There are a lot of moments in the series and this is what I one of the things I love about this show is the fact that there are a lot of times in this series that we see Picard being wrong, whether it be in the moment or whether it be something that he did in the past 15 to 20 years that we haven't seen that was wrong. So we're not seeing this perfect character who always does the right thing. And I I love that. I love the storytelling. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah. I, I said something similar on, on Twitter today. Because, I mean, what happens in Episode 7, which we'll get to in the next episode of Starfleet Escape Podcast, but I just like that we're seeing Picard realize that you can still learn lessons, even if you're, like, in your 90s. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it it's right. something that can you can still learn, you can still grow, no matter what age you are. And, yeah, this is just another example, and... It's really unique to see Picard take this emotional journey. And, you know, there's going to be some big regrets that he has in his life, and he's confronting them. And I think Elnor, leaving Elnor behind was a huge regret of his.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I That is one of the things I think has been haunting him for some time, and the fact that he has to come back now when he needs the help. hmm it hurts him, and you know. I think at the same time he does have that little bit of, you know, the the hubris that the admiral was talking about in the previous episode. the The fact that he comes back, kind of expecting everything to be the same, everything to mm-hmm. you know, everybody to still love him, even though he's just been MIA for for fifteen years.
1: the The hermit of LeBar.
3: Yeah, exactly. It's like he he comes back, and you you sense this. Uh, almost expectation from him that everything's gonna just you know fall into place and everybody's gonna love him and then when he actually bumps up against people who are like affected by the fact that he hasn't been there it takes a second but then you know when he realizes he's like i I was so wrong to have to have abandoned this cause like mm-hmm. I thought I had done everything I could but but I didn't I, did, I didn't do everything I could. I gave up. And that's part of what we're dealing with in this whole series is the fact that Picard did in fact kind of give up. And now he's trying to make up for that.
2: No doubt. Uh, we learned that the criteria for these warrior nuns to bind themselves to a fight is that it must be a lost cause, which is not very reassuring. <laughs>
1: but it's great when they succeed. <laughs> Indeed.
3: I, I love the way that that was revealed. You know, they get, they kept talking about you know several times in the episode. They're like, "Oh well, we you know I, I present my case and you, and they decide whether or not it meets the criteria." And then it wasn't until after he had actually come on board and said, "Okay, I will I will do it." And then um, Jurati asks, "Like, well, so so what is the criteria?" And he says, oh, well, it has to be a lost cause. It's like, <laughs> oh, man.
1: Yeah, not, not a lot of uh, uh, confidence going around on that ship, that's for sure. Right.
2: The next bullet point here is something that actually got me out of my seat when it happened. I was like, oh, what is he doing, Picard? What, were you just like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> no, stop what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you read history? This is not something you should be doing. Picard removes a Romulan's only sign at a local establish- establishment and sits down. Uh, he is then confronted by an ex-Romulan senator who wants to duel Picard because of how the admiral let them down.
1: I I really like this because we get to see you know, Patrick Stewart or Captain Picard fence again. We know he's a fencer. Yeah. Uh, Even though he didn't want to do it, you know, he could have. Yeah, I mean, this whole scene was just really powerful. Mm -hmm. We're seeing the Romulan perspective of how they feel about this whole situation. And a lot of distrust there because, you know, as the ex-senator said, you know, there, there were... They're resilient people. They're resourceful. They should have been the ones to handle it. So it's great to see that, you know, not all of the Romulans were grateful for this help. And some of them saw it as a plot of the Federation. They thought the Federation was going to take over in their time of need. And so I really like that there's not just one homogenous thought process like Mm -hmm. it's just like the real world like sure some people are going to accept help for refugees other people aren't and again it's star trek like having that parallel with real life
3: yeah i I really like that scene but at the same time i was like you guys as soon as he did that i was like this is not going to go well for him like i don't know what he thinks is going to happen right now but it is not going to go well for him
1: and i'm wondering if if picard has some kind of death wish or if he thinks he's invincible because the doctor was like well if this is your mission you know make sure you're dead or something like you may not come back from it so i don't know what is going through picard's mind right now it just seems like he he still has a little bit of that arrogance that i'm like dude you're gonna get killed
2: it's it's interesting now that you uh, say it like that. It reminds me of the young Picard that ends up getting stabbed through the back by a Nosigen.
1: Right. So it's like he's getting some of that like youthful cockiness back, yeah. but it's like, dude, you you need to learn your lesson. <laughs> right.
3: Well, and originally I thought that, and then upon the second and third watching of this episode, I wondered to myself, like. Okay, Picard is a, is a smart guy, and he can be manipulative when he wants to be. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if this was, in fact, a ploy to get to his end result, which he did get, of getting Elnor's help. If he knew, like, this is going to start a fight, I'm going to end up needing to be rescued, Saved. and yeah. either Elnor is going to come to my rescue and join my cause, or I'm going to die. So I wonder if that thought process was actually happening. Mm -hmm. I
1: I think it is. And, and yeah, you, you make a really good point for that. So yeah, it, it definitely could go uh, either way, but I mean, that's a lot to risk, right? Hopefully that Elnor's within earshot of all of this. (laughs) That's, that's a big risk.
3: Well, he did like, it was, it seemed to me based on the, uh, I mean, I don't know the full giant, Geography of that uh, encampment or whatever, but it seemed to me that he walked out of their tent and pretty much right up to that bar or restaurant or whatever. Like it felt like it was really close by, so that if there was a ruckus of any uh, type, yeah. like it was going to be heard. So that's why I thought that I was like, okay, he's he's at the point where he feels like this is going to be his life. I, I feel that Picard knows in his heart already that this is his last mission. Win, mm-hmm. lose, or die, this is his last mission. And so he was willing to, to risk that. I, I don't I don't feel for a second that he didn't think that it could have ended in his death. But I do think that he was willing to take that risk to try to get Elnor's help. And so that's why he he went in there and said, Okay, I'm gonna start some crap and we'll see what we'll see what happens. But even 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 that being said, you know, to, to move on to the next bullet point, when Elnor does come and help him, the first thing he does is cut the dude's head off. <laughs> and Picard's like, "Well, crap! I I wanted your help, and I wanted you to save me from this fight, but I, you didn't need to kill that guy."
1: Yeah, that was what was so great when they beamed back to the ship yeah. and immediately Picard chastised him. He's like, what are you doing? If you're accepting my quest, you cannot do that without, you know, my express permission. But right. how cool is freaking Elnor? He's like, yeah. my friends choose to live.
3: I, I love oh. Elnor's response to that. When he told, when, when he said, you know, why did you have to get, you know, that band did not need to die. And Elnor was basically like, well, I gave him the choice, you know. Yeah. When, When I go into battle, the outcome is not in question. Like, he is so sure of himself when it comes to fighting specifically. In so many other aspects of life, he is not sure of himself. He is so naive in so many other aspects of life. But when it comes to fighting, he has no doubt. He has absolutely no doubt. He said if you choose to engage me, the outcome is no. Yeah. And that's why he tells people like, oh man, I, I think it's the next episode. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but when they end the episode with it, just fading to black and oh. saying my friends choose to live. And it's like, oh, son of a, yeah, that's
2: not this up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not in the episodes
3: we're discussing, but oh, my bad, my bad. Scratch that. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, when he when he when he comes in in this scene and he like pops up and he's like, "My friend, choose to live," and the guy's like looking at him and he's like, "No, I'm going to choose to stab a card instead," and then, boom, dead, head sliding off. I was oh, like, oh,
1: "Holy
2: that, crap!"
1: That was intense. Yeah, I was
2: not expecting to see decapitations in Star Trek. Um, it was. Okay, it we've was... had
1: heads exploding in next gen. So,
2: yeah, the, the, one of my favorite next gen episodes: conspiracy. <laughs> that was a great. That was a
3: great episode. I really wish they'd have pursued that storyline further. No, I do as well.
1: <laughs> Coming in season two of Star Trek: Picard, conspiracy part two.
3: There, there is the uh, fan theory that that actually did have something to do with the board that uh, that message that was being transmitted you know somehow some way was actually board related i I don't know all the details like there was there was a fairly convincing string of suppositions to to put forward to make that a a Borg connection but hmm. that's really the only way you could possibly tie conspiracy into. Anything (laughs) after
0: conspiracy,
3: (laughs) but it was a fun episode.
2: Yeah, I won't get into it. But I was writing a sequel episode that involved deep, like the events after Deep Space Nine that involved conspiracy. Oh, nice! If I can find it, it's on a really, really, really old hard drive. I don't know if I have it anymore, but
3: I, I seriously, one hundred percent want to read that. If you can find it, I will, I will read the crap out
2: of it. I didn't finish it, but what I started was. Mint. But speaking of the bird of prey, it attacks um, uh, the ship. The lost
1: the La Serena.
2: Yes, that ship.
1: La yes. Serena. La the Serena. Yes.
2: The See I wanna say Macarena. That's why
1: I
3: something something. Yeah. Macarena. Nope, I don't know. <laughs> That's all I
2: got. But yeah, so an unknown ship comes to assist. As the that ship that came to a system is being destroyed, they beam the pilot aboard, and it's seven of nine. Oh!
3: That was so awesome. I mean, obviously we knew from the trailers and all the all the previews and such that seven was going to be a part of the show. But what well, an entrance. We didn't know when or how or how, you know, when she was going to be brought in. And the way she was brought in, it was still a great surprise, I felt. I thought it was a fantastic reveal. Especially the way she, like, she beams on and she's, like, stunned and she sees Picard and she's like, Picard, you owe me a ship. And then <laughs> passes out.
1: And there was there was a hint of the Voyager theme in there too, which yes. I really appreciated.
3: I love what they're doing. I mean, let's just take a moment to just appreciate the just score the music. Yeah, of this of this series, like they've they've done such a great job. All the original stuff is fantastic, but the way that they've combined that with hints of old school stuff from TOS, from TNG, from Voyager. I, it's fantastic. As long as we don't get faith of the heart, I am happy. I'm okay with faith of the heart. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I'm okay with that. I don't see that how they could work that into Picard. Oh. But you know what? If they do it as well as they've done everything else, then I'll be okay with it too. Honestly.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, like maybe Picard will need to have heart surgery.
1: <laughs> oh no! Okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh man. So how boy do we rate this, guys?
1: Actually, I'm I'm going to I'm going to change my rating. I really don't know why I initially gave it uh 2 pips. I'm going to mm. say it's 3 pips. Commander.
3: Oh. Wow, okay. All
2: right. And Aaron? Uh, I give it I, I still give it 2 pips. Uh Lieutenant. I'm giving this one a
3: 4 full pip command uh, ca- captain rating. Uh, c- I commander, I Captain.
1: Really captain Commander.
3: Captain to be I give it a, a in-charge rating. That's what I give it. <laughs> one way or the other. Now, I really, honestly, from this episode forward, uh, there hasn't been a dull moment for me. So, yeah. Um, I'm giving it four full pips, Commander, on this one, because I really enjoyed it thoroughly. I didn't think there was anything that the smallest complaints that I had about it were nothing. Um, they were, like, Seriously, picking at nits. You know, if we were doing the positive negatives instead of talking about highlights, I might have found something to complain right. about. But I would have had to stretch. Yeah. So I, yeah, for me, I'm giving it the full captain.
2: All right. Cool. Uh, moving on to the next episode in our review here, episode five, Stardust City Rag. You gotta love that title. Oh yeah. Um, the la. Serena. Right? La Serena?
1: L- la Serena? La Serena.
2: La Serena. I can barely say English words, so it's it's difficult for me. La Serena. La
0: La Serena. <laughs>
2: so the crew of that ship begins an unpredictable and lively expedition on Free Cloud to search for Bruce Maddox. When they learn that Maddox has found himself in a precarious situation, a familiar face offers her assistance.
1: Okay. I have to say I hated this opening. Did
2: you?
1: Uh as as a Voyager fan. Oh. oh. They they did Echeb wrong. They did my boy Echeb <laughs> wrong. And it's it's not so much the fact that all right this episode i didn't i didn't enjoy a lot of it just because of how much death was going on but in particular this flashback scene just the level of gore that was going on Mm. i mean Teresa was like okay i can't like really watch that and even i was like and i'm not really squeamish when it comes to these things you know i've I can go through horror films and all that stuff, you know, to a point. And I, you know, I, I get it. This is a streaming show and it's a mature rating and blah, blah, blah. But I, I'm not used to seeing a lot of gore in star Trek. I mean, right. even though we've, we've had graphic scenes before, but you know, attaching it to a character that I really loved in Voyager I really liked each, when Voyager was on just because it was kind of like close to my age. And I really liked that seven took him under this wing. So this whole thing, like hurt as a Voyager fan yeah. and, you know, kind of like that, that gore type of porn that they were going for this. And, I know, you know, I've, I've read the executive producer, Michael Chabon. I've read his comments and, you know, his responses to people's criticism on it. And I get it. They were really trying to drive the point home that, yep, this universe kind of sucks right now. And this is, you needed something impactful to have seven join a cause like the Fenris Rangers. And, and, it just, it made me really upset, and I think that was the intention, especially for someone who likes Voyager. And so I get it. They've, they got the reaction out of me. I just, it, it was painful. It was painful. I, I really enjoyed Echeb as a character, and, you know, there was that one episode of Voyager where you saw echeb in the future, and mm-hmm. and so I was really glad. I'm like, yes, he's on that path to Starfleet. You know, he's already a lieutenant so many years out of coming home from Voyager. And, and yes, this is the third actor to play Icheb, uh, but I thought they got someone who pretty much looked like him. Right. I, I, I'm really glad it wasn't Manu Itranami because he's kind of, yeah, we, we don't <laughs> a jerk. We don't
2: need to get into it.
1: But. Yeah, but, but no, but just from the character of Icheb and this was his fate and... God, it hit hard when when Seven was like my child, and I was just like, yeah. "God, this this sucks." Yeah, it, it was it was it was depressing. It was.
3: I, no, I completely understand that. I'm honestly being someone who watched Voyager, but was not the hugest fan of it. It still hit pretty hard because I'm, I'm a fan of Seven. And I felt more for her than it did for for of in that scene. But at the same time, I was watching it with my wife, who has seen maybe a half an episode of Voyager at mm-hmm. the most. You know, she's seen a little bit of TNG and she's watched the original series, but she's not seen really any Voyager. Mm-hmm. So I'm like filling her in. I'm like, oh crap, that's that's of That's like you know, practically her kid. Like it's not her kid biologically, but like she basically took him on, you know, like I'm having to explain this t- to, to her. So I understand why they went so visceral because they need to get the people, not just who are fully cognizant of the story like we are, mm-hmm. but also the people who are again, watching this as the, the very first star Trek they watched. they needed to have an emotional connection to this as well. And I think personally, I think they towed the line just right mm. as far as making it emotionally impactful enough for the people who didn't know the story without going over the line of too impactful for those of us who did it was very impactful for those of us who did i'm not discounting that whatsoever when i watched it i was like holy crap especially when they're like literally like pull it, like they show him they like pull out his eye and just like snip the, the connections, like the, the optic nerve is just like, and they're doing all of this without anesthetic. They're doing, they're just like literally just ripping parts off of him. It's absolutely terrible. And But it needed to be, because if they, as an audience, we wouldn't understand her deliver, we wouldn't understand this character of Seven killing him as a mercy killing without that.
1: Oh, I, 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 I understand all of that. It's like, it has to telegraph all of that to the audience and why her response is so strong for revenge in this episode. I, I understand all of that. I just, I didn't have to like it. Yeah. No, Uh, no. And and I'm not
3: saying that you should. I'm not saying that it was, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that I felt that it did the story right. Mm hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, it was it was definitely hard to watch as somebody who had uh, who, who has watched Voyager, and even my wife, like when they were doing the stuff, like she's not super squeamish about stuff, but she's a little bit like when we're watching stuff and it starts to get kind of gory, she'll like kind of turn her head. She'll be like, "Tell me when they're done." Yeah. And so it was it was one of those situations. She did that. She's like, "Okay, tell me when they're done." And I was like, "But the thing was, she said that," and I was like okay, they're done, because it was very short, very t- like, they showed just enough, Yeah, I thought, to, to get the point across without crossing the line into that, like, saw territory, where it's just like, all just like, oh, we're going to show you as much as we possibly can. Um, so, I felt they struck a good balance, personally.
2: I agree with both your point of views there. I'm pretty sure I watched this episode for the first time on the train. And when that was happening, I was like, Jesus Christ, what the hell? <laughs> and, uh, and that's that's
1: why sometimes I can't like watch these or, or rewatch these during my lunch break at work. Like if yeah. I'm in, the, cause I'm like, Ugh, I don't want to like, <laughs> I don't want anyone to see something that might potentially be like completely upsetting, yeah. but yeah.
2: They accomplished what they wanted to accomplish, and um, let's move on to the next point here. We have another flashback (laughs) that's two weeks prior to the events of the actual episode. Maddox's lab has been destroyed with a molecular solvent by the Tal Shiar, and uh, Maddox tells the financial backer he won't be able to pay back the loan. And this backer is Jazel. But Bajzel,
1: who really looked like Marina Sirtis back in TNG.
2: My wife was like, "Oh, that's Troy," and I was like, "No, that is not Troy. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's it's really not." But
3: no, that that actress has been in some other things, but not not
0: Trek.
1: But but she really looked like I was getting yeah. some serious like early Troy vibes from her. Definitely, like <laughs> look look wise.
2: Right, right. She drugs him and holds him captive to sell the Tal Shiar.
3: I really liked this this whole scene, this whole setup, where he's like coming to her for help. He's like, listen, I know I I borrowed money from you to do this thing, but the Tal Shiar came and they destroyed all my crap. I, I don't know how I'm going to pay you back. And she's like, don't worry about it. Just have some Romulan ale. It's all good. No, uh, Tranya. Oh.
1: Tranya. Tranya,
3: sorry. Yeah, yeah, my bad, my bad. But yeah, she's just like, yeah, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And she's like giving him the stuff because she's like figuring out like, okay, do I just kill him or do I sell him to somebody? And that's when, you know, when he mentions the Tal Shiar, like, that's I think the only thing that saved his life is that at that point was the fact that. It's like, oh, okay, the Toshiar is interested in what he was doing, so maybe he's got value, because otherwise I think she would have just killed him.
2: Yeah, probably. I'm sure she wants to make her money back either way. Right. So, um, as you mentioned... She's basically a loan shark. Right, right as you mentioned uh, Mr. Dewey uh in the notes here it's a new actor playing Maddox and we were all
1: hoping yeah we,
3: we talked about how it was a new actor for Echeb we also have a new actor for Maddox it's not the original actor from from TNG Br-
1: Brian Brophy
3: we talked about in the uh in one of our first episodes on this series like when they mentioned Maddox we are like oh are they going to bring back Maddox and we like looked him up and were like he hasn't been doing any acting he's like, University or yeah. something like what's going on? So uh, well, no, they didn't bring him back. They probably got somebody new.
1: Well, I I can understand it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: it. It was a little bit disappointing, but you know when you're working with you know unions and SAG and all that, it, it could have been as simple as the actor just wasn't up to date on SAG membership. Maybe he was just done with acting. But I think the actor that they got, like, you can kind of picture it like 30 years later, like, okay, I can kind of see the resemblance.
3: Yeah, it it wasn't until probably at least his third or fourth full minute on screen that I was 100% sure, okay, this isn't the same. Yeah. Because they had him, you know, he was older, he had the, the gray hair, he had the beard going, you know. They had enough going on that I was like, okay. And he was close enough in facial shape that I was like, okay, I'm okay with this. And honestly, you know, and and for those who didn't watch TNG or possibly haven't watched TNG since it came out and, like, watched it as it airs, they're not going to really notice the difference. You know, it's it's only those of us who have rewatched that show a billion times that are going to really, really notice the difference. Right. And yeah, like you said, if the, you know, we we looked him up and we're like, well, he's like a professor in California. Like, he's like not even acting anymore. So chances are maybe they went to him and said, hey, are you interested in this? He said, nah, I'm good. And they they went and got somebody else. So it worked out, I, I think. So it would have been cool, I think, to see the same guy and be like, oh my gosh, it's the same guy. Like, but at the same time, it wasn't necessary,
2: story wise. Right. Yeah, right. We learned Seven is one of the Fenris Rangers, and she uses she's one
1: of the Power Rangers.
2: Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she uses the ruse that the Rangers keep their money at Free Cloud to hitch a ride. Well played, Seven. Well played. <laughs>
3: Well, we find out that it's a ruse later on. We don't know that at the beginning. She's just right, like, yeah, right. Free Cloud will do. Yeah, I'll take a ride to Free Cloud. Why not? <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> we have an exchange between Rafi and Rios. Uh, we are reminded that Picard was once assimilated,
3: and, and that Seven was once a Borg as well. I right, mean, that's, right. Again, we have to look at it. I always try to look at these episodes as if I had never seen any Star Trek before. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because I obviously have many times, so I know all this information. But I, I try to look at these episodes with the perspective of, what would I think of this story if I didn't know? And the fact that they include little things like this, that it didn't seem out of place. It didn't seem, it wasn't awkward, didn't seem shoehorned in. It seemed like it was a natural conversation between people who didn't know the full story that filled the rest of us in on the full story. I thought it was really well done Mm -hmm. as a way to kind of remind us that both Seven and Picard were Borg at one point for various times. I thought it was really well done, personally.
2: Yeah, totally agreed. We learn Jurati and Maddox were in a relationship when we see her watching a hollow recording of herself and Maddox. He has replicated the ingredients (laughs) for chocolate chip cookies, which he will then put together and bake.
3: I I love this because I think about this from the standpoint of somebody who is a cyberneticist. You know, we're talking about somebody who's taking all these
0: components
3: Mm -hmm. and trying to make life. All these synthetic components and trying to make life. And here he is taking all these synthetic components of a chocolate chip cookie, but trying to bake an actual chocolate chip cookie. I thought that was a fantastic parallel to his work in trying to create another sentient android Mm -hmm. like data i i I just i really love the parallels there i don't know if everybody you know picked up on that the same way i did but i loved
1: it he's gonna make so many awesome sentient cookies it's just
3: it's gonna be great no like no i those cookies are so self-aware um
1: no i i totally picked up on that uh exactly what you were saying eric and but I also like whenever Star Trek mentions that replicators just don't do things quite the justice that they should be. And yeah, I just, I love little touches into like how things work personally in, in Star Trek and all these little like, Sure, you've got the technology, but you kind of lose something in the process, too.
3: As with anything with technology, a lot of times you get the simplicity, but you do lose a little bit in somewhere else. I mean, there's always a trade-off. I was recently reminded, I was was talking to somebody about the difference between reading on a tablet or a Nook or a Kindle or something like that and reading a, a real hard copy book. And I'm like, I love reading on my tablet, on my Kindle or Nook app, because I can carry thousands of books with me anywhere I go in this one small package. I
1: feel like we talked about that on here too. Yeah, it's very possible.
3: Many times <laughs> we've actually talked yeah, about it's this. Probably, I, I bring it up occasionally. <laughs> but but the the off is the other day I was trying to read, and my battery ran out while I was in the middle of reading, so I had to plug in my tablet to, to recharge it, to, to, to read. That doesn't happen with a regular book. You never have to charge a book <laughs> to read it. You can always read it. So there's, there's always a trade-off when there's technology involved, and I think that's kind of one of the things they're, they're talking about
0: here. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of the uh, funnier moments of the episode is when they enter orbit of free cloud. And they are suddenly bombarded with advertisements. Uh Rios gets an ad for ship repair.
1: Uh, the the red bullion. I love that.
2: Isn't that fantastic? It's very interesting and weird. I wonder what makes him red? If it's like a
1: No, I think I think that's the whole joke. Like he's just the red bullion when they're all blue. <laughs> yeah,
2: normally oh, blue. Yeah, yeah so... <laughs> no, I get that, but I'm I'm wondering like if he's literally red or if it's just like a nickname or
1: I think that's or, just the uh, he, it was a mascot for the
2: the ship repair.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, like a bar named the the blue rhino or something. Yeah. yeah. Rhinos are gray. They're not blue.
2: Right. Uh Picard has an ad for afternoon tea. Uh <laughs> Raffi gets an ad for drugs. Of course. Uh, Girardi gets an ad for boc- for boxing a robot from the Free Cloud. Institute of Entertainment Robotics,
3: foreshadowing.
0: <laughs> we'll see. Awesome.
1: And then Elnor gets nothing because no one has any idea that he exists.
3: <laughs> I felt bad for him. He was like, "I didn't get one." I was like,
0: "Oh." Yeah. No,
2: no data mining of Elnor since he's not on Google or Facebook. <laughs> Right. Uh,
1: Spacebook. Spacebook. <laughs> Spacebook.
3: He, he doesn't have an Instagram, therefore he didn't get an ad.
2: Indeed. Rafi gains access to a job board for interfacers, or simply facers, and we learn. But Jazel is looking for a facer to do a deal with the Tel Shiar.
1: Dun dun dun. So that's
2: cool. We see more of Rafi's um, tech skills and her ability to hack into. Uh, mainframes and, and things of that sort. So that, that was cool.
1: I I really like seeing like this Star Trek underbelly mm. in the universe because we know not every planet and sector is going to be you know law abiding Federation and mm-hmm. this really felt like a D Space Nine type of frontier right. situation and. I enjoyed the heck out of that. Like I I really lo- and speaking of DS nine, Quark has franchised apparently his bar. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. And yep. you even see uh Mott's haircut in the background.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it was like Mott's uh hair, hair emporium. emporium. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's yes. perfect. I I love that. Best and,
3: barber in Starfleet. All right.
1: And it's so cool, like I love that they're digging into the universe and Quark even gets mentioned by name by that, that big dude yep. uh, in this episode, like uh, Quark yeah, of Ferengana.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if, like, Picard had to, to reach out to somebody, like, did Picard reach out to Quark directly and be like, hey, listen, I'm going to need you to vouch for, for me, for, the, for our group, or whatever. Like, obviously somebody, like, directly reached out to him and yeah, and asked him to vouch. And I'm like, that's, that's cool as hell.
1: But yeah, my whole point is like those, those like little details in the background as a star Trek fan, it's like, they're not hitting you over the head. It's like a nice natural progression from where we last saw. Of course, Cork went on to be, you know, a successful businessman. And it's great to see that confirmation. And, Hey, I'm glad that Mott survived the destruction of Enterprise D. Oh yeah. So to, to go on and <laughs> he's after that he was probably like, Well, screw Starfleet. I'm just gonna cut hairs on safer planets.
2: <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I would consider Free Cloud safe. No, though. but
1: you know what I mean. Yeah, it's yeah, a no, franchise. He doesn't yeah, have to be yeah. there.
2: That's true. That's true.
3: What I really did love about the whole Free Cloud set. Was that they managed to, for what possibly may be the first time in Star Trek, show a area, a space that was not Starfleet, that wasn't completely corny as hell. Uh-huh. It, it did have its its corny aspects because they were futurizing things a bit. You know, you had the guy walking around with, like, the holographic wings and whatnot. Like, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's a little corny, but at the same time, kind of cool. But so many times when we've seen Star Trek people go undercover and uh, try to go to these places that like like, seedy bars and stuff, and they're just all so just corny and cheap, it's just like, oh, come on, guys, really? This didn't come across like that. Mm-hmm. This came across much more natural and realistic. It was very it reminded me a little bit of, of Discovery when they when they went to the Orion embassy area. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, where it was it was much more realistic, I think, to the you know, thinking about the time and the place and what this what this would look like. It was like a, a high class bar. But in the future. But without being Super duper cheesy, yeah, like they've done in the past. So, right. I really appreciate the, f- the free cloud set.
2: Yeah, oh, yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. So, Seven offers herself as an exchange for Maddox, uh, something she knew, but Jazel could not refuse. Next up, uh, Seven apparently was ready to part ways with the group after getting a ride, but chose join the team once but jazel but jazel's name was mentioned
1: and then i like that raffi since she was more like starfleet intelligence kind of i like that she's the one creating these disguises for everyone and so like picard gets this like super french super space french Accent going on.
3: He was he he was the cartoon villain. It was fantastic. It was
1: great. And then Rios gets like this super space pimp type space of vibe. To...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that hat was, was
1: outfit.
3: It was. I love the fact that he's like, "Is this really necessary?" Like he's all decked out, in the, and they're like, "Um, no, you need to add a feather to your hat." <laughs> Like it's not, it's not pimp enough.
1: <laughs> I like this whole setup. I like that Elnor said that he only knows how to be Elnor. And then seven was like, yeah, but be like the quiet Elnor. <laughs> <laughs> be an Elnor that doesn't. Yeah. Right.
3: <laughs> I, I love that moment. Cause it was another, uh, kind of insight into Elnor's character like he was like suddenly like he realized like hey wait a minute everybody's pretending to be something they're not like this is lying like it's a totally foreign concept to him right and so he like wanted to join in the fun like I want to lie too and they're like no that's not your strong suit (laughs) your strong suit is not lying your strong suit is being you just don't speak
2: and that scene reminded me of Data trying to understand emotion. I know Elnor is a Romulan, but he certainly acts more Vulcan to me anyway. Not quite understanding what's going on. His Romulans are very emotional,
1: but he he's been cloistered in like a nun a nunnery for all of his life. So I don't I don't think it's more Vulcan. I think it's just that he doesn't know anything about the outside world.
2: Right. Yeah.
3: Well, I think Vulcans are much more rooted in truth than Romulans as well. Sure. Like, they may not be, uh, you know, the way of absolute candor or anything like that, but logically, they're thinking that in most cases, you know, honesty is the best policy, you know, quote unquote. And so, logically speaking, most of the time, they're probably going to say the truthful thing because it makes sense. So, I think in him being brought up in this idea of always telling the truth, it does make him seem a little bit more Vulcan than Romulan. Mm-hmm. It's not about the logic; it's about the the honesty. You know, it's said many times throughout Star Trek that Vulcans don't lie, so it it, it totally makes sense for you to think of him as more Vulcanish than Romulanish because of that truthfulness.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Like I said, it's not about the logic; it's about the truth and. Elnor is all about the truth and I love that scene when he's like he's realizing that everybody's lying and he's like wait a minute like this is entirely new to me the idea of pretending to be something I'm not is completely and totally new and they're like yeah it is so don't (laughs) just don't and then later in the episode he's like are we still pretending And and Picard's like no just don't worry about it
2: yeah we find the reason why Seven wanted to go to Free Cloud. She is seeking revenge against Bajazel because the only reason why Ichib was captured was because Seven told her about Ichib.
1: And I love the part when they did the flashback and Bajazel said, wait, I, I can't find your cortical node. And that was because in Voyager, we saw that Icheb gave up his cortical node to Seven. Mm. So it, that was the episode Imperfection, when Seven's cortical node was failing, and Icheb was young enough to donate his to her. So when Bejazel mm. m- made that comment, I was instantly like, holy crap, I watched an episode a few weeks ago, and it all it all kind of clicks. So, I love that Kirsten Beyer is on executive producer and writing for this show because she knows Voyager in and out. And this episode had so many touches of like Voyager knowledge drops, and mm. that was just so cool to have that mention. I'm like, I know exactly what what she's referring to. So.
3: That's that that is an awesome example of exactly what they're trying to do with mm-hmm. this show, because I did not catch that. Yes, I've seen Voyager all the way through a couple of times, but I didn't remember that specific point. I didn't think, oh, each doesn't have a cortical node because he I didn't know that. I just thought maybe they hadn't figured it out, Yeah, but it didn't affect my enjoyment right. of that particular part of the storyline at all but it added so much to your enjoyment of the storyline because you knew that so that is exactly what they're doing here, yeah is is throwing just enough in there for the hardcore fans to catch that and be like yes and the rest of us to be like okay go going with the flow yeah. that, that is perfect that is absolutely beautiful.
1: And 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 that's the kind of continuity I like. And they don't have to hit us over the head with, well, on StarDate, blah blah blah, blah blah blah. Like they don't have to. They don't have to do that. It's it's the hints. Like if you know, you know, and if you don't know, it doesn't affect the story that you need to know.
3: Exactly. Yeah. That that that's that is literally a perfect example because even someone like myself who. I consider myself a pretty hardcore Star Trek fan. I'm not the hardest core ever, but fairly fairly deeply rooted in the Star Trek lore. But that's a little detail of Voyager that I had forgotten. And until you brought that up, I, I had not remembered that. Yet that part of the scene in Picard, it didn't leave me wondering. It didn't leave me like, oh, what the hell are they talking about? And now, looking back with that additional information, she's like, oh, yeah!
2: Yeah, uh, good catch there, uh, Mr. Barry. We find out Raffi's trip to Free Cloud was to find her son. And she tracks him, Gabriel, and we learn that he's having a baby with a Romulan. So she tracks them to a fertility clinic. We learn a little bit more about Raffi. She's a recovering addict, And she tells him that she is clean, even though we know maybe not so much.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, she's, as far as we know, she's been clean since Picard visited her.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so what, maybe a couple, a week, maybe? (laughs) We know he wants nothing to do with her. Uh, she wasn't there for him or his father. He asks her about the attack on Mars. He's questioning her about how it wasn't the sense behind it and the conclave of eight and how it was worth ignoring him and his father for some crackpot tin hat conspiracy.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I liked how they played that out because, you know, she they've got her coming to him saying, hey, I want to be part of your life. I want to be part of my, my grandchild's life and all this. And he basically pushes her to, to admit that she's still clinging on to these theories. It's like, well tell me about th- tell me about this. Tell me about this. and she's like, It's not ah! like she goes off, she's like damn it. Like, no. Like, it doesn't even matter. But at the same time, she still holds on to these beliefs. And it's interesting I do have to I as soon as this as this happened when he said conclave of eight, I'm like, man, eight, and then we've got this whole uh Soji and Dodge thing with their little two circle emblem, whatever that also looks, you know, could look like infinity an symbol or like an eight if you turned it sideways. You know, it's like so. I'm like, does this have something to like? I'm like, <laughs> as soon as she he said eight, I was like, oh. Oh, something's gonna be up with this. I'm hoping that this wasn't a one-off. Like, I'm hoping that we're going to see Gabriel and his wife, who... Now, Now, uh, you had said, Aaron, that someplace they had verified 100% that she was Romulan. Memory Alpha says that she's a Romulan. I mean, the,
1: the Ridges kind of gave that away. What irony that his mom is all, Romulans did it, and then the biggest fu you to his mom is I'm marrying a Romulan. <laughs> like, come on. That's what they meant it to be.
3: And, and there is the point somebody else uh, had made the point. I'm not sure who I uh, forgive you. Uh, forgive me if it was one of you guys, but um, somebody had made the point that maybe the reason they were on free cloud having this baby was because that was the only place in the universe that would be okay. Ding, ding, with ding, ding. A human having a baby with a Romulan. Yeah. But at the same time, they never explicitly stated in that episode that she was Romulan. And we we know already in this series that there are possibly Romulans posing as Vulcans or Vulcans posing as Romulans. So we know that, I'll know about that now. they can be... <laughs> well, yeah. Well, well we, we have to jump ahead to episodes we haven't right, talked right. about yet yeah. in order to, to get that far. But... As of right this moment, we still believe that there are Romulans posing as Vulcans, right? at least in Starfleet. So it's very possible. In my mind, I didn't see anything that explicitly said this is a Romulan or a Vulcan. I'm not saying that she wasn't or she was, but my, my gut is saying that she could be either. <laughs> but the okay. point is... The point of them being on free cloud to to you know they're at this like fertility clinic or whatever they're at that does speak more towards a towards a Romulan simply because the the you know stigma I guess um, so there is that
2: so everyone beams back to the ship including Maddox uh, who is t- taken to sickbay pretty bad shape
0: mm-hmm.
3: he is messed up. Yo.
2: Seven gives Picard a holocom chip in case he needs a vigilante. A, a,
3: a vigilante, quote <laughs> <Important, important>. unquote, <laughs> and, and probably because that's what he called her about being right. part of the Fenris Rangers. Right,
2: and one of the I don't want to say the most. You
3: you can say it. This was literally the best moment of the series to this point. This these two lines. This this conversation between these two people. I. I'll admit
2: it. So Seven asks Picard if he truly recovered his humanity. Mm. And he admits he hasn't, but they are both working on it.
3: Well, here's the thing, though. The the thing that made that scene so powerful was that Seven asks him first, after mm-hmm. your time with the Collective, do you feel that you regained your humanity? And Picard immediately answers yes, emphatically he says yes with like 100% assurance. And then she asks him, all of it? And then he says, that's what made that moment so powerful was the fact that she's like, did you regain your humanity? He's like, yeah. And she's like, all of it? He's like, okay, maybe not. (laughs) That scene for me was one of the best scenes of this series so far. Mm Mm-hmm. Just that communication between them, and it was because of that—that that change, that that moment between you know her asking the question and then her clarifying the question a little bit, and his answer changing. Right, that really hit me hard as a fan, especially of Next Gen and the whole you know Lacutis of Borg arc. Mm-hmm. Like that, that hit hard. I felt. I, I thought that was fantastically done. I really
2: did. Right. And as Seven is beaming down, they start playing the Voyager theme. Woo!
3: <laughs> I did catch that. I caught that the first time around. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's Voyager right there. And the first thing I thought is like, Barry's gonna love this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they transport back, and Burcards like, and everyone else is basically trying to convince Seven against Uh, revenge and she's like okay and then (laughs) immediately transports down and kills but
3: i love that scene that was so fit like i on the one hand i was like okay she just asked you for a couple of phasers like really like you're going to just let her transport with a couple of phasers. Like you don't know what she's going to do with those, but okay, whatever. And then she transports down. And then there's that, there's that moment where you wonder whether is she going to do it or is she not? And then she does it and you're like, yeah, yeah, she deserved (laughs) it. But at the same time, you want to think better of seven. You want to think of seven as one of the quote unquote good guys but again, you have to look at this at through the lens of this is this is not next-gen Voyager timeline. This is in the future. This is some bad stuff has happened. The lines are not as clearly drawn anymore. So, yeah, Seven is, is pissed. And this is a person who has caused her pain and will continue to cause pain to others if, if she's not stopped. So, I didn't have a problem with Seven Killing, the JJ or whatever her name is. Uh, I'm
2: just glad that I will never have to say her name again. Or attempt to say her name
3: because I butchered it. Or
1: think about her name ever again.
3: Vajazzle is dead. 100%. We'll just say that. Oh yeah, yeah. There's no recovering from that. <laughs> she was 100% vaporized, yes.
1: Why do they have to make it like a pot balloon? That's my... <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, if we go back to earlier when we talked about conspiracy...
1: True, that... but I, I just like it. I like the... the
3: that, that took some time and, like, two combined phaser beams on consistent charge to, to, to accomplish. Well,
2: because... So, well, does, can a phaser, like, vaporize? Yes, probably right
3: yeah we've seen that we, we've seen it in um uh what was the episode where Riker had to kill that girl that ended up being she was she was an assassin for a group of uh like there were like clan based oh. wars oh yeah. and she was the last one of the oh. of the clan yes treeste like how do I know the name of the clan, but I don't know the freaking name of the episode. What the crap is that about? Those are good episodes. She was the last of the clan Trellesta. Anyways, she was gonna. Yeah, he vaporized her with the phaser. Yeah, and after she just kind of like all the way up.
2: Did that like, you know, slowly. You know. Yeah, it was like it was it was a vaporization
3: melting. from the point of impact out. Right. It was pretty cool, looking, actually, yeah. for for the time.
2: Yeah. So I mean, maybe she had the <laughs> phasers on like heat setting. And she, she just she popped had the phases like on Ultra Kill. a like a microwave. Huh. Yeah, and she just she had the
0: phases
1: she she had them yes.
2: turned up to eleven. <laughs> exactly.
1: She wandered dead. That was the thing.
2: <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. It, it, she's she's gone. Picard is told by Maddox that Soji is on the artifact, so we're finally going to hopefully visit the outer in the next episode and uh, to find the truth about the ban on synthetic life forms Maddox remarked that they were hiding something and that they were lies upon lies.
3: Maddox managed to convey a lot of information in a short amount of time that really didn't amount to a whole lot of anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. When it comes down to it. You're like, okay, yeah, he said they did something and it was lies upon lies and okay, but what?
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who's lying about what and why? And Yeah, all, all he ass.
3: really managed to convey was that because Picard was able to ask him was it the Romulans and Maddox did indicate like I think the Federation is involved as well, but does that mean the Federation actually knew or just the Romulan spies within the Federation that we already know to exist? So Yeah. Who knows? Question I, mark, I guess. Question we'll mark, find question
2: mark. Out. Hopefully. Finally, Gerati kills Maddox in tears. Yeah. <sighs> saying she wished he knew what she knew and they had shown it to her. Presumably Commodore O.
3: Yeah, and and specifically, she also said that she wished she didn't know what she knew. Right. Well, okay. So on the one hand, I felt that there was going to be some sort of duplicity with Juron. I didn't. I didn't accept her at face value when she came back to Picard after his visit to her. Like, I was like, okay, something's up here. Especially the way they like foreshadowed it with Rafi, like you didn't even have me perform a cursory background check on her or anything, right. and so I was like, "Oh, she's up to something." I did not expect her to kill Maddox. Mm. That definitely threw me. Like i I was already expecting some sort of treachery from her in the long run, but. For her to straight-up kill somebody who she was obviously uh, <laughs> quite friendly with previously, right? that that threw me. And the fact that she was, like, all about this, I wish I didn't know. I, if you knew what I knew, and I wish I didn't know what I know, I was like, no, because I gotta know, you know? Oh, I know. Yeah, we find out a few episodes later. We're, we're behind... By- <laughs> I, I, I forget sometimes that we're recording a couple episodes behind right now, so I'm like, we know a little bit about what we're talking about now, but at the moment of this episode... It was
1: completely no shocking at the time.
3: Yeah. It it really was. And it's somewhat disappointing, because I, well, I did expect something from Drotty, I was kind of hoping that she was ultimately a good guy. Because I liked her, I was like, I was really rooting for her to be kind of like a good guy in this whole situation, like an unwitting maybe accomplice to anything. But yeah, we find out that she is not, she is not innocent, right. she is not pure, she is not unwitting. She's she's done some 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 stuff. Yeah, and it's that was disappointing as 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 it was shocking, but. It is what it
2: is. And hopefully, she'll be redeemed at some point in the series. We shall see. So, ratings, gentlemen. What do we? What are we going to give this?
1: Uh, I thought it was a captain, and mm-hmm. I'm completely biased because it's seven of nine, and this was fantastic. <laughs> this, no, just every interaction she had with the crew. Uh, especially Bicard because of their conversation that they had it was just fantastic that they brought these two characters together with their shared experience I'm glad that they didn't kill seven of nine off uh, I hope they don't <laughs> right <laughs> uh, considering the track record with card so far, but no we we got some serious progression of the story in this episode, a serious chunk of story. it was an emotional roller coaster four for pips captain,
2: now, I agree, I think this is uh the first captain rank that I've given a Picard episode, really is it I believe so, and I think right. it deserves it. From start to finish, it was uh, full of things happening, which I think some of the other episodes might have lacked. We got to see Seven of Nine, which was cool. Oh, and uh, I thought uh, Mr. Vup was a very interesting alien. Vup was uh, awesome. So kudos.
3: Yeah. I, I love that character, and I, I I love the species they created for that character, and then... The whoever actually played him was fantastic.
1: I love the behind the scenes that they had for that uh, episode and his makeup and everything. That guy was awesome.
2: I need to watch the uh, Ready Room. I'm, I'm several episodes. I, I am
1: too, but for that particular episode, they had like a full on Mister Vup segment, and I was there for it. the okay. The actor is fabulous. He's great.
2: Nice.
3: I actually went ahead and gave this. I'm, I guess, four and a half pips. Um, I'm. I'm guessing that's what a commodore is. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, um, I, would say... I don't know. We haven't really dis. <laughs> we haven't really distinguished the I, difference between a commodore I, and, I, and an admiral. Well,
2: they're pretty much the same thing. I would call this fleet captain if I had to pick a name for it.
3: Well, because the only reason I say that a commodore might be a little bit under an admiral is because it did seem like commodore. Answer to the
2: well, that was the C and C. So that she was yeah, she was pips. the
3: commander in chief, but she was an admiral also. So well, either way, I'm giving it just a a tiny bit higher than both of you guys because that's uh, that's how you roll, pretty much how I do. As as we were talking about in the chat, I uh, gave it a fifty-eight pips. Um, No, that was just the the length of the episode. The last the last couple episodes were both really long episodes, were fantastic, Um, which we'll talk about on our next episode. But for this one, yes, I did give it four and a half pips, a little bit higher than a captain because honestly, I thought this was nonstop, just fantastic, and I thought it was the perfect blend. You know, we talked about how Picard is not an action series. It is It is a dr- dramatic series that has some action elements. But this one, I felt, really did have the perfect blend. It had enough action to keep us engaged. The drama that was there was believable and real and kept us engaged. And it was the perfect balance, I think, between newbies to the Star Trek universe and us old coot fans of the universe so I really thought that it was just a a really fantastic blend and uh, you know no spoilers or anything but I didn't think it could get much better than this but we'll talk (laughs) next episode about the next two episodes and uh, we'll see we'll see if that holds true Nice teaser there. Dum-dum-dum. <laughs> you like that? I, I like that.
2: So, Mr. Barry, Yes. If we were to search for you on the internet, how would we find you?
1: You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at four 47 Also check out my other podcast on the 4-Eyed Radio Network, the Ranger Command Power Hour for all your Power Ranger needs. And yeah, just four uh, 47
2: Very good. Mr. Dewey, how would we find you on the internet?
3: Uh, well, just go to Google and type in the most awesome dude in the universe. And then uh, erase that and type in Eric J. Dewey instead. And uh, you'll find my Twitter and my Instagram and my Untapped. And uh, that's where you'll find me. And don't forget to follow all of the shows on the Four Eyed Radio Network. We're at Four Eyed Radio on most social media or at the Sasquatch Net on other social medias you'll find us so we're out there
2: (laughs) very good and you can find me on most social media platforms including instagram twitter and untapped at nova charter so thank you all for listening and as always live long and prosper
1: peace and long life
0: yes
2: Thank you for listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfxscapepod.com, on Twitter and Instagram at sfxscapepod, and on Facebook.com slash
0: sfxscapepod.